Welcome to Wood Talk for woodworkers by woodworkers. Now here are three guys who, if combined, would make one hell of a woodworker. Mark, Matt, and Shannon. All right, it's Wood Talk number 328 for October 10th, 2016. On today's show, we're talking about learning to sharpen saws, shop lighting options, and where do you get your horse butt? Everybody knows you go to the horse butt store. <laughs> Doy. Uh, today's show is sponsored by Brusso Hardware. Brusso provides high-quality American-made woodworking hardware for furniture, cabinets, boxes, and more. Wood Talk listeners can use coupon code WOODTALK, that's W-O-O-D-T-A-L-K, for 10% off your first order at Brusso.com. And we've got a whole bunch of people to thank, so let's do that. Uh, these are folks who helped us out either by PayPal donation or Patreon donation. Uh, Joseph Polsky, uh, Sochet Sue. Now let me tell you something about Sochet he was in the shop this uh, this weekend, uh, yesterday. In fact, I had a little guild party. I'll tell you about it later. But I asked him, I'm like, how do you pronounce your name? Because I know I'm not pronouncing it properly. And he told me, and I said, I will not remember that. But uh, I, I think I got it. Sochet Sue. So, and uh, but he, I asked. Yeah, he was awesome. He gave me a Dunkin' Donuts gift card. Right? If you wanna, if you wanna, oh, make, wow. you wanna make a friend quickly with me. That's how you're gonna do it. So there's a man who knows how to get it done. Uh, Wade Hutchison, Mike Oxlong, Doug. Charles Fackler, George Foreman, Seth Williams, Ed Fisher, Reese Yance, Ryan Renard, Ben Minchel, Scott Whitner, Vinny Jojo, Chris Holzer, Kevin Kittinger, Michael Waleski, uh, Chris Richardson, Brian Murawski, and Nick Travis. Thank you so much, everybody, for helping us wow. out. Yeah, nice list, right? Nice. Lots of people. Yeah, and if hey, you want to Charles Fackler, simplify, buddy. Okay. Uh, and if you want to help out Absolutely. too, you can just go by, uh, go to sure, what he said. Yeah. What he said, uh, <laughs> patreon.com slash wood talk is where you could, uh, learn everything about the whole Patreon system and, and what it involves, what you can get back for, for helping us out. And you know what? I think we hit another milestone, right? Another goal, uh, since the last time we recorded and that is the weekend so. show. So that Woo-hoo. either our third or fourth goal at this point, we just kind of crushed them very quickly. And this means the weekend show is going to return. <laughs> Any more uh, goals. Yeah, we got to come up with new things. Yeah. I don't know what else we could put on there. But uh, so, yeah, the goal was reached. That means starting in November, I believe, we are going to add an additional show each week. Those of you who have been with us for a while probably remember we did this in the past. Hold on. Right about when Mark's moving, we're going to add an additional show. It's really the perfect time. You know, I got nothing else going on. What else have you been doing? Yeah, I got nothing else going on. So, um, yeah, so this whole weekend show thing is basically us picking either like a singular topic to to really flesh out in detail uh, and even an opportunity for us to discuss something that's not directly woodworking related, maybe indirectly or having to do with some of the stuff that the three of us do to, you know, to sort of make our websites go. I know that's not of interest to everybody, but remember, this is an extra show. So if we do go into stuff that we're kind of interested in, you have to give us a little bit of leeway to have fun with that. But it still is a woodworking show uh, by three woodworkers, and we will always sort of stay true to um, being in that woodworking-focused topic. But once in a while, we're probably going to talk a little bit of off-topic. And I know some people really love that. So, you know, can't please everybody all the time, but we'll, we'll do the best. Bottom line is we want to have fun, too. Uh, and then sometimes those other topics are very fun for us to discuss. So we hope you enjoy it. We'll start that up in November, but until then we'll just continue with a normal weekly show, even though I'm moving and, uh, I don't even know if I'm going to have a shop to record in. It's, it's going to be a, a mess, but we'll make it happen. Uh, all right. So yeah, let's, you might have to deal with like, you know, a, a just a single car garage for a while. No. Like the rest of us schlubs. I will. I, at this point, there's going to be the garage conversion. Uh, you know what? Let's just get into what's on the bench because that's what yeah, I'm <laughs> talking about anyway. <laughs> just go there. Let's just say let's just say we're there. Uh, so yeah, so the 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 shop information, you know, the electrical stuff, that saga continues, and I think finally we've reached an end to it. So we did have a complete electrical workup on the house, and it has um, got plenty of power. There's there's ample power to do what we need to do. Uh, the electrician said that he'd be happy putting in a 125 uh, amp sub panel, which should be more than enough to do what I need to do. So that is actually going to be mission number one when I get there, is try to keep the garage as clear as possible, because I'd like to do the conversion as quickly as possible. So I'm not going to sort of even try to work in there until the shop is ready. So my hope is that we'll be able to get the electrical done. I'll be able to do whatever I'm going to do with flooring, with the walls, insulation, if it needs it, uh, heater, of course. And uh, it won't be until those things are in that I actually start setting up tools and and trying to produce content and projects uh, from that space. So there may well, good be- Good for you for remembering the heater. 
Oh yeah, yeah. well, <laughs> what a foreign idea. <laughs> well, I think the thing is, when you go from from Arizona, you know, obviously you're thinking of uh, cooling, which I I am bringing a mini split with me, <laughs> so I will have taking a uh, mini split. <laughs> yeah, I'm taking one with me. It's just going to put it over my shoulder and uh, trek it on up to Colorado. Uh, but I do realize it gets damn cold there, and I might you know need to pay attention to that, and uh, my you know finishes and things may freeze, which is something I'm not used to. Uh, but yeah, so heater is definitely high on that list, so that I can work through the uh, the cold winter. So once that's done, then I'll start powering up the tools. So, you know, I'm really not even going to make a go of it until I have something that resembles a functional shop that I could start powering up the tools. And that probably won't be for a while because who knows, a lot of this is outside of my control, you know, contractors and getting, (laughs) getting people in to do work in a shop is uh, something I don't have much control over. So, uh, but other than that, I did have a guild meetup, which was kind of like worst timing possible. Uh, it was right in the (laughs) middle of, of packing up these pods uh, trying to get all that work done. And yesterday we just sounds had, like perfect timing. Didn't you like, wasn't that part of it? Like show up and help pack the shop. <laughs> yeah. Everything's Didn't right over there, it? guys. I've organized the heaviest stuff to the left. So uh, gentlemen, yeah. uh, I hope you've been working out. Uh, yeah, actually <laughs> we, we finished all of the heavy stuff and we were just doing the fine tuning of, of like the last minute things, cleaning out the house and stuff like that. So I didn't, uh, didn't put anybody to work. But man, it was so cool. Like this is the second time we've done one of these local sort of meetups and it really is the guild. And I think in terms of like, all right, when you look at how many woodworkers there are in your particular area and then subdivide that into woodworkers who follow you on your free site and then subdivide that further into woodworkers who might sign up for like the hand tool school or or the guild. And you're talking about a tiny, tiny, small subsections and a niche within a niche within a niche. And there's still like 25 people that show up to this thing. Hmm. You know, it's just, it's mind boggling. You know, if you ever doubt anyone who makes content, you doubt the reach of what you do and whether it's worth it to do it, the sheer numbers of it, it's just mind boggling and humbling to see how far this stuff can go, you know? So it was just really, really cool to have people stop in. We had some, it was very low key. Like we weren't in, in the situation to do much. So we had water and cookies <laughs> and, <laughs> and basically just hung out in the shop and, and talked about woodworking and uh, got to know everybody, let everybody else get to know each other. It was a, a lot of, a whole lot of fun. Definitely a good way, a good send off uh, to sort of close, close out this chapter for us. So had a good time. That's cool. Yeah. Good fun. Right on. Uh, but other than that, my life is packing boxes and trying to keep my, my son sane. Uh, this sort of upheaval <laughs> of his life at, at, you know, five years old is, is not very fun to deal with. So trying to keep him stable. So I'm either packing boxes, building a clock or uh, trying to keep my kid from destroying the house. So that's it for me, Matt. What do you, you know, just to let you know what I'm reading here in the show notes sounds like a presidential candidate's euphemism or something. So <laughs> go, go ahead and say what that, <laughs> what it is. Cause that's funny to me. Pressing God. apples. Pressing apples. <laughs> yes. Wow. Only in this election. Actually. <laughs> That's about as far as we'll get into the political talk, but uh, you got to go laugh it. people. You just, that's all you can do right now. Is you just don't laugh. see the humor in it. Then it's all depressing. <laughs> I don't care what party you support. You just got to laugh right now. Yep. All right. So tell us about your apple pressing, Matt. Oh man, it was great. So last week I finished up building the apple press and the accessories for it. And then yesterday I actually got to try it out. Uh, my friend who kind of brought the project to me came by with six bushels of apples and he taught me how to use this thing. Whoa. He made 18 gallons of juice. Jeez. Crazy. What do you do with all that? I don't know. He's going to take it and ferment it. But he left me like a gallon to like <laughs> drink. Nice. But uh, it was a lot of fun. I've never done that before. Never seen it done. Um, it was really cool to like, because as I was building it, I kind of had an idea of like how it was supposed to work. And then like you see it in person, like, oh, that's how it actually works. Yeah. And... Mm-hmm. I made this. <laughs> so most importantly, how did the juice taste? Oh, God, it was so good. Was it really? Uh, oh, it was. Yeah, it was really good. Like, I'm not like super into apple juice, but I'm super into this apple juice. Yeah. Was, uh, <laughs> is was there a good. certain type of apple that is, is specifically used for juicing that tastes better than other apples? So we did a blend. Okay. Uh, we, we did uh, Cortland and um, I forgot the other one already. And then crab apples to get a little more tart. Okay. Uh, and it was awesome. So nice. I guess you can you can kind of blend whatever you want. And the funny thing is, like, as you're as you're going through and prepping the apples, you're like, you can really use whatever looking apple you want for this. <laughs> it's yeah. all gonna get mushed up Even anyway. If it's like starting to brown already. You could just. So throw I'm like, it in. I I wouldn't eat this, but I'll squish it. Yeah. Sweet. <laughs> oh, dude, that's awesome. I wish I could have some. I'm gonna have to go get some apple juice now. 
There you go. Well, good deal, man. Eat it, but I'll squish it. I'll squish it. (laughs) (laughs) That's disgusting. (laughs) That's the show title right there. All right. Well, while you were uh, pressing apples, I got to thinking we had this conversation, I don't know, a couple episodes ago about um, clamping up panels. And I had made a, a panel clamp using Veritas hardware a while ago. And I still had another set of it. And I was thinking, you know what? I'm going to make another one of those because I've got a, a another big panel glue up to do. And I thought, you know, why not pull that thing out and revisit it? And uh, I used some reclaimed lumber. Nice. <laughs> this is this is uh, this is what a guy who works at a lumber yard calls reclaimed lumber. Uh, it's material <laughs> that, doctor. for one reason or another got um, whether it'd been it had been left out or it had uh, just gotten really, really old. Uh, there is kind of a shelf life for some of the stuff on the yard. And after a while, the moisture content climbs or it gets a lot of exposure to the elements or whatever and becomes kind of unsellable. Well, the good news is, is, you know, there it may be gray on the outside, but like one tiny little pass of a hand plane and suddenly you have fresh material underneath it. It's right. like, you know, a 64th of an inch deep, if probably less than that, you've got fresh wood showing up there. So I grabbed these um, 10 to 11 quarter probably one of the other reasons it was an odd thickness really gray beat up wormholes checked all the hell pieces of lumber um all about i want to say about eight inches wide and 10 to 11 quarter thick and uh started ripping them to make these kind of two and a half by two and a half bars for the panel clamp and the, the veritas hardware you you create those bars and then you drill a bunch of holes in it and the hardware slots into those three quarter inch holes and it uh not only clamps laterally across the glue joint, but as you clamp, it actually kind of sucks the bars down. So you get clamping on all four directions. So I start ripping this and I realized that this is some sort of African red ish wood. You know, it's kind of hard to say, hard, hard to say as I'm ripping it because it's gray on all sides. Um, so then I start planing it and I go, oh, look, this is Sapili. What do you know? So my reclaimed lumber to be made into clamps was suddenly Sapili. Um, so yeah, I'm sure I will catch some flack for making panel clamps out of Sapili, <laughs> but you know, to my credit, I don't think I could have used it for anything else because it was pretty beat up. Yeah. There were a lot of wormholes. There's a lot of checking in this. Um, so this is one of those things that's nice because the panel clamp really, you just need a reference face on the inside. So the upper bar and the lower bar, you have a reference face that goes against the work. The rest of the faces, who cares? You know, they can be as beat up and banged up and everything. So as I was planing this stuff down and I did the whole hybrid method where I got one face kind of kind of sort of flat so it didn't rock. Then I ran it through my grizzly planer. And like, you know, when you run a plane, a piece of the planer, it's like, and like you hear something break off. want to hear like, oh, great. You know, bounce around a little bit and then get sucked up the tube. And then you hear it bounce off the impeller. And I'm like, oh, geez. And you go to the other side of the planer looking to see, is it still in one piece as it comes out? Well, several of those checks, the grain was running one way, but the check was running the other way. So as I'm pushing it through the planer to go in the right grain direction, the check was in exactly the wrong way. So it rips out like this enormous chunk. So one of my calls is perfect, nice reference face with an enormous divot out of one side of it. It's like, okay. <laughs> so I started to feel better about using this nice Sapili, uh, my, excuse me, reclaimed Sapili to make uh, shop panel clamps. Not that I should really care. I mean, my tool cabinet's made out of Sapili and cherry. So... <laughs> But still, it was it was nice. It was you know that stuff had been sitting back there since I as long as I can remember. I've been at the yard for six years now, and it's just been like sitting out, not even under a tarp, all the way back in like the 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 no man's land of the lumber yard. So right. I just picked it up and gave it new life. So there we go. Hmm. Exciting. Reclaimed, you turd. Yeah, <laughs> reclaimed. It was reclaimed from a pile at the back of the yard. Uh, that was never used to begin with. <laughs> nice. Yes. Yeah. Good stuff. Um, oh, one other point, if if I may, I'm kind of curious uh, to hear you guys' thoughts on this. Um, I've been contemplating dust collection for a little bit. Um, my dust collector is just way too big for my shop. The garage door actually jams on it when I open it. It's too tall, mm-hmm. and uh, it's constantly bumping into the thing, and it's unseating the canister and everything. And I've been thinking this is kind of stupid. I don't need this big of a dust collector in a shop where the only power tool that I use it for is the planer, you know, and chip ejection from a planer is pretty you don't really need a lot of suction on that because it shoots out the it's back already of the planer. coming out yeah ready <clears throat> um so 
I've got one of those wall mounted rockler thingies. I had it for years and years and years, and I actually took it down because it ended up being redundant. Um, and I didn't like it that much because the bag system has a real bottleneck to it. The bag itself clamps down to that, whatever it is, six inch uh, output, which means when you take it off and try to dump it, all those chips in the big part of the bag come down to that bottleneck and it's impossible mm-hmm. to empty the thing, at least for my kind of chips. I think if all you had was dust, you know, from mm-hmm. a power tool, it'd be sure, right. But sure. So I just ran across the fact that now Rockler sells a canister, like a pleated canister filter for this thing, which then takes a regular big plastic bag underneath it. Hmm. So I'm actually thinking about doing that, but that means going from a one and a half horse down to a three quarter horse. I don't know what the whole CFM thing does and everything like that, but I mean, footprint wise, just mounts on the wall and it would be like probably four feet tall. You know, yeah. if I set it so that the bag kind of rides on the floor, mm-hmm. I just think it's kind of a no brainer, but it's a $200 filter. So it's kind of like, I can't just go, eh, no big deal. You know, it's <laughs> yeah. 600 bucks, but, uh, I don't know. I just, for one machine, I, I can't imagine that that three quarter horse is going to get not going to give me the CFM that I need. I think you've got the best case scenario for that, given your, your usage right. habits and the tool that you're trying to use it on. Like and if it got a short run, you know, yeah. I mean, I can't have yeah, that long sure. of a run in the shop. It's not that big. So I don't know. Yeah, I, I, that <laughs> sounds to me like it would work. I, think I might go for it just because it would free up like the whole front corner of my shop. Do it, man. Do it. All right. I'm doing it. Go do, do it. it. Spend, spend your money. Yes. <laughs> just go, needed to say it out loud. Go play in that reclaimed lumber. You're welcome. <laughs> All right. So let's move into what's new. And this actually is sort of related to what you were talking about with the panel clamps. Uh, I didn't put it in the show notes, but I thought I'd mention it. Did you guys see Andy Klein's video on his panel clamps? He basically did a modification to the standard uh, parallel clamps that we use, like the Bessie and, and Jet style clamps. Right. And uh, mm-hmm. putting a curved head on one end that causes, as you you know put the pressure in, causes it to sort of squeeze the bars down on one another. So um, he, I think he had discussed that in the past, and this is like version two uh, of what he's trying to, to come up with. So it's really cool. Go check it out. Andy comes up with some really neat ideas. I think he's uh, it's one of those guys where you just like to swim around in his brain for a little while <laughs> to, to see the world the, the way they oh, see boy. it, you know, to identify problems and then come up with the solutions for them. Uh, very cool stuff. So go check that out. Um, next thing I have here is sent to me from, um, Kevin Jacobs. And he said, it's an animated GIF of complicated Japanese wood joinery. And this is really cool because a lot of these crazy interlocking joints that only assemble a certain way. And once they're together, you can't really, you know, see what's going on and it's done. Look, it looks like it's just using SketchUp animation to, to make these things happen, but you could see how the parts are cut interlocked and how it goes together and comes apart. Uh, just an an animated gift thing. So, uh, check it out. Definitely cool. Hmm, That's cool. I like that. Yeah. It's neat. I love Japanese joinery. It's always one of those things where it's like, you know, I just want to make the joints. It has absolutely no, (laughs) nothing to build with it. (laughs) Right. I just want to sit there and like make the joints just to say that I could, I don't know what I would use them for, Yep. but yeah, it's pretty sweet. Well, last week we talked about, um, uh, guitar making video, this hour long video that was kind of cool. Well, Brandon, found another one and he says this one starts like a Japanese action series and then just hooks you. So that in and of itself was enough to make me click through and start watching this Sold. and Japanese TV, man. Wow. That's some crazy stuff. Uh, wow. <laughs> you just got to go watch this. There's a, the, the host or MC or whatever the show, the camera work on it is just wonderful. Lots of like extreme close-ups and like very dramatic things. And then of course there's some really cool woodworking as this guy builds a, uh, uh, a guitar. Nice. Um, it's like the virtuoso series or something like that. But it does remind me of like Kung Fu theater with like from the seventies. So there's definitely some disco going on in there. <laughs> very yeah. cool. Or checking out. It's a different twist <laughs> on your average guitar making video. Yeah. Oh, awesome. Next one here, I got here from Brian. This is an article he wrote on his blog about how to price your time or your shop rate if you're doing woodworking for a living. Hmm. I thought it was really, really uh, well done. It walks through like all the different things you got to consider, like how much you want to make per year, and then you got to factor in how many hours you can work in a year and figure out how many hours per week you spend on stuff that's not billable to your clients, all that fun stuff, all the overhead um, of your shop, and how to go about finding an actual rate that you can have for your shop and then whether or not the things you bid out are actually worth your time. So that was really cool. 
cool. Brian's a good dude. He's, uh, he does some of the sketchup work for the wood whisperer now, and he actually donated his time to do the woodworkers fighting cancer, uh, build plan for us. So I'd give him a little oh, shout nice. out there. Yeah. Very, very kind of him to do that. Uh, all right, let's get into our kickback here. First one is from Andrew and he says, I also, you know, we talked about the handle breaking the torrified handles, uh, two shows ago, one show ago. And he says he also had a torrified handle break on him. Um, he says, I was abusing it without a doubt. I was pounding away on the one inch PMV bench chisel, trying to carve out the angled through mortise for Roy Underhill's big ash mallet, uh, except it was honey locust instead of ash. Sure enough, the handle split right in half. The guys at Lee Valley were awesome and sent me a handle right out. I had to use my handheld rotary tool to remove the torrified remains, which was a pain in the, <laughs> but it looks as good as new now. <laughs> I don't think I'll be pounding on it like that again. So interesting. That's uh, mm. that's that's two people so far. Two people. It's an epidemic. It is. Watch out. It's like uh, Sam. It, it, does Samsung make torrified wood? But uh, but. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, so real quick, let's uh, talk about uh, our sponsor today, and that's Bruso Hardware. I happen to have a set of Bruso hinges right in my hand. A hinge, I should say. And uh, you could probably knock out a small child with this. <laughs> Great. Not that I recommend that's what that's you, what I want to hear happen. So you you have some small children, Mark. You want me to test this out? I don't think Nicole yes, would be happy with show me. Show us, Mark. But you you but could you could do some damage. Services with this on thing. the line, Matt. This is heavy. This is very very heavy. So I was looking for hinges for the grandfather clock, and I really wanted to go with Bruso's stuff. And I found this beautiful hinge. It's got the nice little uh, round dealy whackers on it. And it's just as with any, you know, Bruce or hardware, it's just so well built and you, you put it in your hand, you know exactly why these things aren't cheap, you know, not just in quality, but cost I'm talking about. Um, the absolutely beautiful craftsmanship and so easy to install because it's so predictable. We've talked about that in the past about Bruce. is one of the best things is you know what you're in for when you're installing these. It's predictable and consistent thickness all the way across each leaf. And it just looks gorgeous. So uh, I was very happy with it. Talked to Bruce and I said, hey, I need these hinges pronto, yo, because I got to I got to move out of this place. And uh, yo. yeah, yo. And I got four, four sets and these are going right into the grandfather clock. So super happy with them. Actually, the ones I have are PH001, if you're looking uh, for, for this sp- specific part number, um, but really super high quality. And I haven't done a hardware installation in, I don't know, quite a while, actually, at least one that I needed just like butt hinges. Um, so it's been a while, but man, every time I use their stuff, it's absolutely um, the, the best experience I, I've had with hardware. It's when I use Bruso's stuff. So really, you really know, good. and it's, it's a really kind of stupid, silly thing. But one of the thing that has absolutely nothing to do with the hinge itself, mm. but the packaging, yeah, their little, the little plastic um, bag that it comes in is like subdivided. Um, yeah. So like it keeps the screws and everything together. I was, I was just doing hinge install the other day and it's like, oh my God, this is so nice. Yeah. Like, you know, other places you open it, everything all comes out together and that's got like just, yeah, just a neat little touch. Well, and you've got the, the screws banging around inside the package with the hinge, you know, possibly scratching mm-hmm. the hardware mm-hmm. at the same time, but you're right. You can open it up and people watching the, the webcam, you could open it up, get access to the hinge, but your screws are still nice and secure because obviously we don't right. need these right now and I won't need them for a while. So it's nice to have them separate. That's a really, really good point. So anyway, you want to go to Bruso.com to check them out and Wood Talk listeners can use coupon code WOODTALK for 10% off your first order at Bruso.com. Go check them out. Good stuff. Bruso hardware. Uh, let's get into our voicemail. First one here is from Tom. Oh, this one's interesting. Hold on. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm new to this. Let me get my Skype thing. Where are you, Skype? This is so confusing, guys. I'm sorry. All right, here we go. So Tom is looking to do something just really weird with shellac. Good day to you, gentlemen. This is Tom from Fond du Lac, Wisconsin. I have a question about an atypical finish additive. I'm considering adding insect carapace to shellac. A friend of mine owns a scorpion, and as Mark certainly knows, scorpions molt. Also, there are thousands of cicada husks about every year, and my day job puts me in a unique position to be able to harvest them. I grind them up into a powder and add it to the shellac. I understand that the alcohol won't dissolve the carapace, but I think it might make an interesting light refraction in the finish. My question is, do you think the carapace will react poorly in any way to either the shellac or the alcohol? My idea is to finish a box that's made with a dragon's claw burl veneer with a scorpion shellac, mostly because it sounds cool. 
and I'm considering calling a friend that owns snakes for the skin, but the same reservation about potential reaction is still in my mind. Thank you very much, guys, and have a great day. It's kind of, I mean, it's cool, but it's got to be the weirdest thing I've ever heard. Yeah. You know, I think one of the things you have to worry about is setting off some sort of spell that would raise the dead. Yeah. By adding all those animal parts. You you have to stir them in a cauldron. Yeah. You want to know where the zombie apocalypse started when the first guy put scorpion carapace into (laughs) shellac and then suddenly a zombie outbreak is out of control. I I want to go back to the scorpion as the pet. He has a pet scorpion. His friend has a pet scorpion. Didn't know that was a thing. Of course it is. Anything that's alive that's not human can be a pet. Everyone knows this. Okay. <laughs> well, even a rock can be a pet, and that's not alive. Uh, so, all right. So he's got a carapace, and and we I, I don't know for sure, but I'm guessing, like he says, it probably isn't going to dissolve in alcohol. So the only way to get it to do anything is to probably grind it up into a powder. You do that, and I guess you'd have to put quite a bit. If anything, it's just going to go into suspension. It's not going to dissolve, and you're just going to have carapace schmutz in your shellac. Like it w- w- would it would it not just act like a flattener in a way, just to give you a little bit more of a, a matte finish? That's what yeah. I was thinking. If you grind it really fine, it'd have to be really Otherwise, finely you're ground. Have a textured surface. Yeah, yeah. It's just going to be almost like a grit, right? Almost like. Um, you yeah. know, if you're, you're putting it on something that you want grip, uh, grip ability to, you would put this kind of powder stuff in there, but I don't know. It's such a and weird I think thing. I think you'd have to go to the consistency of flour in order to make it act as a flattener. Otherwise yeah. it's just going to be gritty. Yeah. Cause that's the whole thing with flatteners. They're in there, but you, you know, I mean, when it settles to the bottom, you could see it, but once you mix it up and it's in solution, you, you don't necessarily see it, right? Like once it dries, the whole point is you, you feel like you're, you're still seeing through it, but it's clearly those flatteners are what's causing the, the light to reflect and, uh, or, or sort of it, the the way the light reflects changes and it's not as um you know bouncing into your eyes the same way but you're not actually seeing individual particles you know none of us have vision that good in this case it's like could he get it ground fine enough to get it to that point or is he not looking to do that does he want to have you know this scorpion cast off of material <laughs> uh you know visible in the final product well so, and i guess the other question is is Maybe it would dissolve. I don't know. <laughs> you could just try. I don't just think break it off would. the tip. Because isn't like a carapace like um <laughs> chitin or like a bone product? So it's gonna have like a lot of calcium in it in all likelihood. Right. And I don't know that that's necessarily, at least not in the short term, going to dissolve in, in alcohol. But again, I I don't really know. Anyway, we I don't think we have any answers for you, Tom, because this is a weird question. But yeah. uh let us know what you but do. I like it. Because it's a scorpion finish. Scorpion shellac sounds fantastic. Seriously. Let's think about what well, else. Something else, man. You know, you could you could buy one of those um like resin kits that mm-hmm. you get in like pen turning catalogs and yeah. you could make you could make something out of it. You know? Isn't that what uh, Zach Higgins does all the time? You guys know Zach from uh, Nevada right, Woodworks? Right. He does all mm-hmm. kinds of crazy stuff in, in resin. Uh, nothing this crazy. <laughs> well, dude, he lives in uh, Nevada. He can get him some scorpions. Let's let's do it, man. Put that on your list. Uh, see, see, see what you can do with it. Uh, all right. So next question here is from David. And uh, this is actually for Shannon specifically. Hi, Shannon. This is David from Woodland, Washington. I had a question specifically for you about a treadle lathe. I have this treadle lathe that I got, no kidding, on the free Craigslist uh, in my area here. Anyway, I'm having problems uh, finishing it up. The guy who started it did a pretty good job, but the design wasn't exactly right. It's a Roy Underhill design, and the axle of the flywheel... Uh, is a you know a, a steel rod that goes to a crank, um, and the rod uh, connects to the flywheel through a couple of fittings, galvanized fittings that look kind of like uh, like you use for electrical conduit. And there is a about a three sixteenth hole uh, sort of pressed through both sides of the fitting and through a corresponding hole in the, the steel rod axle uh, that put a pin in. And it worked okay, but uh, the betrayal he had was a single foot, just like a basically a piece of board on a hinge. And I redesigned it to be all the way across so I could do longer work and have better leverage. And now what I'm coming into is that those two holes and with the fitting and the uh, the steel axle 
uh, working like they're bolt cutters, and they are shearing through any kind of pen I can put in there. I've tried, uh, you know, uh, high-tension pens. I, uh, I mean, obviously a nail will cut to it like almost like butter. And I've even tried uh, to use part of an old allogranch that I that I put in there. And I'm not saying that my my treadle is perfectly in time, as occasionally I'll, you get off the rhythm. But after five or six pumps, uh, it just chops right to that pen. Any suggestions on what I can do? Is there a different way I can uh, connect the axle uh, to the flywheel and therefore, you know, change how I'm powering the wheel? Uh, let me know. Appreciate your help. Love the show, guys. Been listening for years. Appreciate it. Bye-bye. Okay, right. I didn't listen to any of that, so go ahead. <laughs> this is a good question, David. Um, I ran into a similar situation. What he's talking about here is the wheel, the flywheel, will spin freely on the axle. And you have to attach the flywheel to the axle so that when you rotate the axle, the flywheel goes with it. Otherwise, you're just rotating the axle and that doesn't do you any good. So I remember when I designed mine, I stupidly used a pair of uh, cotter pins. Now, they were heavy duty cotter pins. But yeah, it was the same type of thing. The They were sheared in half in like 30 seconds. Because what you're dealing with is every time you press down on that treadle, unless you get the timing exactly right and the force vector exactly right, it's a jarring motion. Um, you know, you might get your timing just so right that you're just kind of subtly adding a little bit of push to that wheel. But ultimately, there's a little bit of play there when you first push down where it kind of smashes into that point and it will shear off just about anything you stick in there. There is, uh, there are a couple things you can do. You can secure that um, the wheel to the axle itself through either a flange plate or something like that, where you're actually screwing that flange plate into the flywheel and then you're screwing the flange plate into the axle. Now, you could run into the same situation there, but you can buy hardened steel rods. They're precision steel rods. You can get them at McMaster Car that will slip through there. Um, that could work for you. The other thing, and this is what I ended up doing. Um, I went to McMaster car looking for like a high strength, um, pin that would work. And I just kind of accidentally landed on, uh, a tapered, what do they call them? Tapered alignment pins. I think these are very, 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 very hard, high tensile machine pins that are meant for this particular application. They're meant to slide into um, the axle and keep a flywheel from rotating on it. The only other option I can think of is actually keying the axle, where you've actually got a piece that's inset into the axle itself, and then that piece then registers against the flywheel. But if your flywheel is made out of wood, which is, I suspect it is, eventually that's going to deform and break out. So um, let me, I'll, I'll dig up the part number and I'll drop it in the show notes, but I've been using those tapered pens now for two years and I've never had a problem. And if you do have a problem, they're like dirt cheap. Hmm. Like when I bought them, I got them in a bag of like eight and there's only two of them. So worst comes to worst, it'll wear it on you after a year and you just pop a new one in. I think I paid $12 for eight of them. So there is an element of the disposable to this. Any machine is going to have parts that wear out on it. And that is your weak point of the entire system. So don't feel bad. You're not the only one having that problem. Hmm. Good stuff. All right, let's get into our email and uh, picked a few good ones here. First one is from David Trump. He says, for shop lighting without video content production considerations, what are your recommendations now? Fluorescent or LED? Hanging or ceiling surface mounted? Uh, with or without a lens on the fixture? How many fixtures? An online calculator indicates that the ideal is 18 two-bulb T8 fixtures for my 350-square-foot shop space. Seems like a lot of light production. Mark, what do you do differently in your next shop? Thanks. So this is actually something I have been thinking about a lot, and I don't know that I'm going to, you know, adequately answer all of his questions because I'm not, you know, that well-versed well in lighting. Um, but I think even if you are filming versus not filming, it's still the same concerns. Uh, if you've got good enough lighting for video production, then you're going to have great lighting for a work environment because here's the thing. You, you want to be able to see what's going on. If it's dimly lit, it's harder to work in that space. Uh, you can't see details. You can't see flaws and things like that. So good lighting, be it for video or just 
you know, task lighting for doing things, it's important in both cases. And a lot of times the same things we want in video will help accomplish, you know, the same goals just as a woodworker would be concerned with them. So the actual um, color temperature of the light, you know, even before I was doing any kind of uh, filming of my work, I really like daylight spectrum lights because I wanted to get as, as natural of a look and uh, as much color accuracy as I could on not just the wood, but stains and finishes, stuff like that. So that said, this online calculator sounds, I mean, maybe it's, uh, is it the same site that is selling you the fixtures? Because that's, that seems like a lot, right? Uh, 18 fixtures for 350 square feet. I counted what I have in this shop. I've got 1,800 square feet, and I only have uh, 22 fixtures. So I don't know if, you know, what, what the story is, but... Now, could I use more than what I have here? Absolutely, I could. I could take a little bit more, but that really does start to cater to the video side of things. Um, for just regular work, this is a really well lit shop, and I don't know that I would need anything more than twenty two at this point. So um, when I move, uh, the shop, at least if everything goes through with this house, has two light bulbs in it in the garage, <laughs> or maybe th- maybe three if I'm lucky. So I've been thinking about this exact question of LED versus fluorescent. And I'm just wondering, is now the time? You know, is it is it time to jump into the world of LED? Have prices come down enough to justify making that change? Excuse me. So I was watching, speaking of Andy Klein, just mentioned him before, I was watching his shop uh, series that he did when he moved to the Denver area, coincidentally. And he has one dedicated to the lighting, and I'll have to put a link to that for you guys to check it out. Uh, but he's dealing with, um, oh, what's the company's name? American green lights. And it's, uh, basically led light strips. They take about, you know, the four foot span that a regular fluorescent fixture would, except for it's just a small strip of LEDs. Now in his shop, he's in a basement. So he's using something in once like a really, really low profile. Cause any, you know, drop that you get from a fixture is loss in height that he'd have to worry about. So he's able to attach these strips right to the ceiling without like this big fixture because he takes all of, um, Oh, what do you call it? The tra- is it the transformer? The little black so. brick? Yeah, the AC to DC yeah, transformer yes, thing? Yes, yeah. exactly. So he takes all the transformers, puts them in one singular box, and then runs the single line of you know 110 power to that box, and then distributes to each of the lights using like doorbell wire. And so talk about a super low-profile solution with lots of great light. And you know, so to me, LED is totally the way to go. It's, it's, it's a very pleasant light to work in, assuming you get a good quality and the right color temperature and all that stuff. Um, and of course the energy requirements for it are, are a really nice thing. It's not going to you know require nearly as much power. Um, the drawback to it is $120 a fixture, right? Wow. So if you compare that, mm-hmm. I mean, the last time I bought lights, like I've got in my shop now, um, Home Depot had banks of four, for T8s where you get four four footers in there and those fixtures were $75. So I don't know what the current pricing is, but you know, that was consistent, you know, five years ago. And then again, you know, when I did another change, it was was about the same price. So significantly more money, but if you're looking in the long term, you're going to be in there a lot. There's energy savings. How long will it take you to recuperate that cost? That I don't know, but I do think it, you know, it's, if you're putting in new, you know, maybe not replace all your old stuff, but if you're putting in new, you probably should make that choice. Uh, you know, that that would be the time to do it if you're going to do it uh, to consider LED. So, uh, what were the other things? So, uh, lens. I don't think that's really that big of a deal if you wanted to. I've never had. Uh, I guess. Well, actually, when the seventy-five dollar fixtures from Home Depot do have uh, plastic, you know, sort of screen in front of it to just kind of diffuse the light. I don't know that that's really necessary. I don't have anything here in the shop. It's just the raw bulbs and that seems to work out just fine. Um, and again, with the mounting, that just depends on your ceiling heights and what you can take. So if you could just mount direct and it hangs down a few inches, fine. The LED system that Andy did half inch was the most he got as far as coming off of the ceiling by a half inch. That's incredible. Um, you know, what I've got here is probably at least four inches. I would say four, maybe a little bit more. Uh, now my ceilings are high enough that it's not an issue, but depending on your shop, it might be an issue. So, uh, you know, to sum up, definitely consider LED if you've got the budget for it. I think the the light is better. The long term uh, is better on it. You won't be replacing bulbs. Like I've actually got two or three that are out right now that I need to replace uh, before somebody takes over the shops, uh, you know, with these T8s. So I, I do think LED is a good thing. But 
look into it. Uh, check out that one company that uh, Andy recommends, um, American Green Lights. They look like they've got some pretty good products, and it's simple. Like that's one thing that I find when I look at LED, I get confused very quickly as to like what is applicable for what I'm trying to do. What do I need to make it work? Uh, watch Andy's video, go to that website and you'll see the product he used and it all suddenly seems a lot simpler. Um, but I do think it's time to consider LED. So that is it for me. Shannon, nice. you're next. I like it. I agree. I like LED. Okay. I like them a lot. Uh, yeah. So, um, Paige had a question, um, on our Patreon page It says, uh, Hey fellas, I'm just getting into hand sawing after taking a weekend class at the Port Townsend woodworking school. Um, <laughs> shout out. Um, I was wondering <laughs> what files Shannon uses for his hand saws and if he has any tips for beginning sharpeners beyond learning on a good saw before restoring antiques. Um, yeah, uh, sure. Uh, the files I use, I have used Grobay. I've used whatchamacallit Nicholson. And I'm now using the kit that I got from Lee Valley, which I believe are Baco, B-A-H-C-O. Uh, yes, I believe that is the case. Mm-hmm. Um, I have heard from many people like, oh, the Grobay files are terrible. And oh, the Nicholson files are terrible. I honestly can't tell the difference <laughs> between <laughs> any of the ones that I've used. And, and let me, let me, preface that by saying I really don't do that much handsaw sharpening. I mean, I've got a lot of handsaws, so there is a little bit of that where, Oh, that's dull. Go pick up that one. But I mean, (laughs) I'm sharpening maybe once every six months on some of these saws. So, um, like so far this year I have sharpened maybe five saws, you know? So I, I do believe that's the difference. I think some of them, the, the lesser quality files just wear out faster. So, um, personally i think the lee valley set is good because you can buy the whole kit and get the little like tool roll and everything and it's only like 48 dollars um because one of the other things people have when they're first getting into saw sharpening is well what size files do i get and i think instead of going and buying a specific size file thinking well that will work for this saw or this saw you're better off having a selection because the files themselves are not actually labeled you know, so a six inch slim versus six inch double extra slim, you may not actually know the difference. So then a chart tells you, well, use a six inch double extra slim here and you go, okay, which one's that? You know, ultimately what you end up doing is choosing the size of the file based upon like holding it up to the teeth. And you want the file to be uh, slightly more than twice the depth of the gullet. So you drop the file in the gullet and you want to have more file above the tooth point than below it. And that's what you go with. Frankly, you can get a little bit more fine on that. But when you're first starting with saw filing, there's no reason to really think beyond that. So if you've gone out and you've bought one or two files and you drop it in there, and you're like, oh, that's not right. You know, and you drop another one. Oh, that's not right. So spend the forty five or forty eight dollars, whatever it is at Lee Valley and get the whole kit. Plus, you get a mill file for joining and a handy dandy little keeper to to put them in, which is kind of nice. So your files aren't banging into one another and getting really dull. Mm-hmm. So that would be what I would recommend. And then you get the the Baco files for that. Um, as far as beginning sharpeners, um, yes, I do believe starting sharpening on a saw that someone else has already sharpened is a really good idea because then it's kind of maintenance sharpening. You're not doing any shaping or anything like that. So you take the file, you put it in the gullet and kind of press down and that file will adhere to the geometry of the tooth that's already there. So once it kind of settles and it feels stable, then you push forward. Um, <laughs> and it's really, it's almost like training wheels. You get a real feel for that at first. But if you wanted something kind of in addition to that tip, relax, frankly. Um, <laughs> there is so much written now on the amount of rake and amount of fleam and tooth geometry to make the best perfect saw. Ultimately, what you want to do is focus on just getting sharp teeth. So you'll joint your teeth and you leave those little flats on top of the teeth. Just focus on removing those flats. If you can throw in some extra geometry here and there, that's nice. But, you know, if one tooth or 17 teeth have slightly different rakes from the teeth around them, it's not the end of the world. And I think too many people are focused on getting every tooth to be exactly identical. Yes, ideally, that's what we want. But ultimately, you're going to get just eyeballing. You're going to get pretty close. You know, you might be off a degree here or there, but that's not going to change dramatically how the saw functions. So your best deal is just do it. It's one of those things where you be like, why did I put this off? Because it's really not that hard. So there you go. Hmm. Just do it. Do it, yo. <laughs> just do it. 
Hey, I just wanted to say that uh, Matt Vanderlis, although he's not on the show anymore, is doing his best to get on the show right now Seriously? by texting me and Shannon and uh, showing us, if you're watching the video, you can see this, pictures of his leftover Dave's Barbecue dinner. Yeah, so we both got it, and he's teasing us with it just to make sure he gets on the show. <laughs> I love their mac and cheese. They're uh, the best mac and they cheese. They don't do anything Except- wrong. That place is so good. Ugh. I'm hungry. Pudding. I know. Oh, that's the problem. I want, I'm looking at the picture. I'm like, crap. Now right, I have to go get show's over. Yeah. Go We're done. Way to go, Vanderlist. <laughs> Nicely done, Matt. <laughs> All right. Matt, number two. What's going on? Hello. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to say quick, uh, going back to Mark's question, he answered, definitely uh, err on the side of too much light than not enough, because mm-hmm. I added a bunch of light uh, around my workbench, specifically for filming, but now the rest of my shop feels so dim, and I don't know how I got anything done without like adequate lighting beforehand. Yeah. It really is a a relative sort of thing, right? Like until you experience what it's like to have that extra light, you you don't even really know what you're missing. But then once you see it, now you're just like, well, geez, everything is so dark in here. (laughs) (laughs) I look around like that side of the shop is really dark. Mm -hmm. Uh, But the nice thing now, like especially working on the bench with all that light there is there's no harsh shadows. There's no, like you can see everywhere. There's no there's no shadows on anything, so you can yeah. really see exactly what you're doing. You can see your lines really easily. Uh, it just makes things a lot easier. Yeah, yeah. I wasn't for, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. I say for reference, around my bench, I have 18 um, T8 bulbs in that quarter of my shop. So that's a half of a one car garage in that one little quarter of my shop. So that's right. about 100 100 square feet. Okay. Uh, 18 ish. individual bulbs or 18 yes, pairs? Yes, 18 four foot bulbs. Okay, gotcha. So nine pair. Oh, nine pair. Yep. Cool. Very good. Um, it's an interesting perspective because I'm on the I'm on the opposite end right now. So maybe it's just that I don't know what I'm missing. You don't know what you're missing. You really yeah. don't. You don't know. You need to see the light, <laughs> Shannon, is what needs to happen here. Uh, I see what you did there. <laughs> that was witty. <laughs> you're welcome. All right. This question is from Eric. It says, hey, horse butt users. What's your what? source or horse hide for your straps? I have heard horse hide really makes a positive difference as compared to veg tanned cowhide and which dropping compound have you found works best thanks for the great show makes my mountain bike rides go by faster um the only place i've seen it sold is from tools from working wood i'm sure you can get it at an actual like leather place that specializes in fancy leathers um i haven't used any other form of uh strop i know the people who have used it before and then switched to horse butt said that it does work differently or better um i don't know like objectively, how much of a difference it makes. Um, the horning subtle. compound, subtle. It's very it's subtle. Subtle but, subtle but good. <clears throat> yeah, definitely. Because <laughs> I think it's harder. Is that kind of... Yeah, there's just less flex in it, yeah. less give. Mm. Uh, mm. The strapping compound I use, I've only used the green stuff. That seems to be working just fine. I don't know. Janin, any anything else? Other butt user? <laughs> Yeah, I, I can't tell the difference Another between butt the green lover. and the yellow. <laughs> I, I've got the yellow because it came with my little flex cut carving kit, and then I have the green on like the rest of the straps. And yes, yeah, what's I, the yellow? Is that like what I don't know. Oh, okay, <laughs> it's just right. yellow crayon. It okay. seems to work just as well as the green one. <laughs> Nothing you know? but the best information from Wood Talk. Yeah, it's got it's got less of red dye number four in it than the other one. Yeah. So now I, I'm sure there is a difference. There's for some reason the flex cut people like to to use the yellow for the carving chisels. That fine. I've seen other carvers using yellow, so possibly it is finer. But um, I don't know. Okay. I just have not been able to feel a difference. I'm still getting sharp tools. I can still slice things open and bleed lots with with <laughs> either uh, with either tool mm-hmm. from either strapping compound. Well, speaking of slicing things open, uh, the next little uh, email extra that we're going to do for our $4 patrons and higher will actually be on avoiding cuts in the shop. So, uh, you know, maybe don't sharpen things quite as much. <laughs> How's that? <laughs> yeah, there you uh, go. Yeah, so if you uh, if you want to tune in for that, definitely step up to the $4 patron level. It's just a quick added little piece of content that we put in there for you if you're interested in it. And um, I think that's really about it for today's show. If you want to support us, you can. You could set up that recurring donation over on the Patreon page, patreon.com slash woodtalk. You could head to the TWW store and pick yourself up a Wood Talk t-shirt, or you can go to iTunes and leave us a review. That costs you nothing but a couple of minutes 
Uh, look us up in the iTunes store, click on ratings and reviews and give us a five-star rating if you want to. We appreciate that. Uh, like George Pag did, he says, Woodworking for every man. This is one of the best, if not the best, woodworking podcast available. Every podcast is filled with practical, useful woodworking techniques and methods of work. Matt, Mark, and Shannon, I'm not sure about that order, make uh, <laughs> make woodworking accessible. Heck, they have day jobs. Well, one of them doesn't. Uh, Two of them don't, right? I guess. Oh, so you one guys of them work has during the day. Technically, uh, one of them has a day job uh, and work in garages <laughs> just like us. Well, yeah. one of them doesn't. I, I, maybe I shouldn't nitpick this. He's complimenting us. Stop nitpicking. Just read <laughs> I just don't want to take false credit for something that's not well, true. If you think about it, wood talk <laughs> is the night job, and then, you know, yes. the others are day job. That's true. You know? okay. yeah. This is my third job. Yes, that's a good point. Man. Uh, reading no, a glossy magazine. Show us up. <laughs> right. Reading a glossy magazine filled with advanced techniques and examples uh, of the highest level of woodworking shows you how far you have to go. These guys actually help you get there, in spite of the corny jokes and puns. What? We never do corny jokes and puns. That's crazy. I thought it's like you know that's that's an added bonus as far as I'm concerned. That's like a Patreon level reward is more puns. <laughs> There's our next milestone: the yeah. pun show. More, more It'll be mo punny. <laughs> Uh, all right. Well, oh, thank you wow, for listening, everyone. Uh, Shannon, why don't you give them the contact info and we'll get out of here. Comments, questions, topic suggestions, pun submissions. There are several different ways you can contact us. <laughs> you can leave a voicemail on Skype. That's Wood Talk Online. Or you can call our voicemail line at 623-242-5180. Or you can use our fancy contact form that we might ignore at woodtalkshow.com slash contact. And go to our website, leave a comment on this post, or find us on our Facebook page and talk to us there, too. Yep. So, yeah, that's it. Or go to our sites, woodwhisper.com, renaissancewoodworker.com, and mattcremona.com. You know what we should add to this as well, just as a regular thing, is the live stuff that they can catch us live every Monday um, at the, the YouTube live page. Just, you know. I think you just did. No, well, we put a note in there so you don't forget next time. <laughs> that's how it is. Production note. <laughs> now <laughs> right now do it now win all right well thank Just you for now. listening everyone and uh we'll catch you next time see ya see you bye